This is Danny Gould, and you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder. But you need that. Coming up, Nikki Glaser talks about her new MTV show and going head-to-head with her comedy hero. Hopefully we can work together, but uh, we might be on the same time with him in some markets for sure. We'll find out who that is and how she feels about all that coming up in just a few minutes. Uh, of course, we just had the election. Barack Obama was re-elected, and the conservatives and the GOP are freaking out. But oddly, so are the Democrats. We'll have a look. And no, you have not tuned into Newsbusters. But first, as always, fake news. And now, fake news with me. Barack Obama was elected to a second presidential term this past Tuesday, defeating Republican Mitt Romney by reassembling the political coalition that boosted him to victory four years ago. Obama scored a decisive victory by stringing together a series of narrow wins. On Twitter, Donald Trump noted that the popular vote margin in several swing states was less than 500,000 votes. He also said the GOP must do better at suppressing votes. Many questions now face the re-elected President Obama, like, can there be compromise in Washington? Can Iran be taken off the path to developing a nuclear weapon? And when do I get all that free stuff Bill O'Reilly was talking about? Celebrities do it, presidents do it, now even the Pope will do it. The Vatican spokesman said Thursday that... Pope Benedict XXVI will start tweeting from a personal Twitter account, perhaps by the end of this year. The 85-year-old Benedict sent his first tweet from a Vatican account last year when he launched the Vatican's news information portal, and since then he has been merely retweeting Rob Delaney. Madonna found herself Thursday night hit with another round of fan flack. In her first concerts at the presidential election, loud boos mixed with cheering could be heard across Joe Louis Arena as she waxed enthusiastic about President Barack Obama, describing herself as a ecstatically happy about Tuesday's result. You can boo all you want, she told the Detroit crowd, but I've been to countries around the world where people can't vote for their leaders. Then Tendu just took a gun in her mouth. Motorists aged 16 to 24 are more likely to drive while drowsy. One in seven licensed drivers in that age group admit to having nodded off behind the wheel at least once in the past year, says a new survey by AAA Foundation for Traffic Safety. Overall, one in ten drivers acknowledge nodding off while driving. Most of those, it turns out, were listening to Rush Limbaugh or Sean Hannity. The man behind the anti-Muslim film that led to violence in many parts of the Middle East agreed to spend a year in federal prison for unrelated probation violations, but afterward issued a statement that appeared to reinforce his stern stance against Islam. Prosecutors were hoping the video would come into play in the conviction, thereby setting a precedent to lock up the creators of the NBC sitcom Animal Practice. And that's been Fake News with me. I almost feel like starting this segment with uh, something like, I'm P.F. Wilson, welcome to Newsbusters, let's get started. But um, yeah, the uh, of course president won re-election on Tuesday, and the GOP freaked out. Um, you've probably seen the clip of Karl Rove just, you know, 
not being not believing it. Uh, the Fox News telling him that you know, no, look, we're calling Ohio for the president, and he's won the election. And, and Rove just not believing it. And then, then the past couple of days, they've come out saying, oh, well, it was because of Hurricane Sandy, and they're just they're just so in so much denial. Well, oddly, uh, there's a show that I do recommend. It's on the YouTube there. It's called The Young Turks, hosted by Senk Uger. Normally, Senk, a real together guy, a real smart guy, but he had he went on this kind of bizarre turn. I'll I'll let you have a listen to it here. President Obama won a convincing victory, uh, so of course, uh, what are the Democrats going to do? They are going to immediately give away the queen. Now, this is not what uh, the Republicans do. Uh, of course, uh, you remember that Bush had won 286 uh, electoral votes back in 2004. President Obama, this time around, is likely to win 332 votes. Uh, it's a huge difference. Obama has a much larger mandate. Okay, this whole idea of a mandate, and this was first uh, put out there back in 2004 when, um, and Senk goes on to play the, this clip of President Bush saying that he'd earned political capital because uh, he had beaten John Kerry 286 electoral votes to 251. And, of course, the president just won 332 electoral votes to 206. Now, you, you would think, wow, that is a, a huge margin. But, of course, what everyone seems to be forgetting is that the popular vote is a lot different. Now, the popular vote doesn't determine who wins the presidency. We have had, in fact, in 2000, uh, famously, Al Gore uh, lost the popular vote by uh, less than half a million votes, around half a million votes. But, of course, George Bush won the electoral vote, so he won the election. But uh, in terms of a mandate, the Electoral College means nothing. It, it doesn't mean anything at all. All it means is that he won, you've won the most states and the electoral votes that go with it. In the popular vote, uh, if we go here to the list on the handy-dandy Wikipedia, uh, it shows currently that Barack Obama uh, had 3.1 million uh, over uh, Mitt Romney, which is good, but it's not like 332 to 206, okay? It's still pretty close. And, um, you know, Sink, well, Sink goes on to explain uh, how the media is reacting to this. I intend to spend it, treat it as a mandate, and then, of course, the press fell in line, started talking about a non-existent mandate. Now, uh, this time around, of course, the press is not doing that. There was a new uh, headline out saying, elections 50-50. Even after we have won the election, uh, nonetheless, it's the Associated Press that says a headline, quote, it's a 50-50 nation, give or take. Okay, now, in 2004, he was right. The press did fall in line with this whole uh, Bush has a mandate thing because he said it. So people said, well, okay, then you must, even though he clearly did not. He only won by 3 million votes in the popular vote. So it, then it was a 50-50 nation, too. So, yeah, but this time, the press is right. And uh, Sink's not done, though. He goes after David Axelrod. So here comes Axelrod, his top advisor. And listen to what he's going to say about a mandate. On this issue of particularly the fiscal cliff, you know, one thing, you know, people, presidents always say, well, I have, a, I had a mandate, I had a mandate. That's a, that's a foolish word, and it's generally untrue. Why would you say that? Why would you give away your leverage? Because it's true, and you have none. The, the Congress, House of Representatives, is still controlled by the GOP. Now, there's a lot of reasons uh, for that that people uh, are kind of looking into. Uh, they probably the um, number one theory on why, how they were able to keep the House of Representatives um, but not the Senate is because two things. The um, redistricting was done back in 2010 because of the census. And, of course, the redistricting is done by the party that controls the House and controls uh, the state governments, and that is the Republicans. So a lot of districts were redrawn, and 
Democrats are eliminated, Dennis Kucinich in Ohio, for one. So that's one. And two, people generally like their uh, congressperson. It takes a lot to uh, uh, pry them out of there. In fact, uh, we had a Republican congressman here for years and years named Rob Portman. You may have heard of him. I voted for him because he was doing an okay job, and then the Democrats didn't put up anybody that was a lot better against him. So I'm, I was right there in that pool of people that like their congressman. You know, we, everybody hates the House of Representatives. They hate Congress, but they like their congressman. And certainly I think that had a lot to do with, uh, you know, why some of uh, the congressmen were reelected and why they still maintain the majority in the House. Okay. Then there's this whole other issue uh, tied to the election here, uh, separate from what Senk was talking about. Um, and he goes on to explain that, you know, uh, you know, President Obama is actually going to lower taxes for business, which he is, which some economists say actually is something you probably should do. And I know that sounds counterintuitive because we think, well, they're not going to pay the workers anymore. They're just going to kind of pocket that money, which is what I still believe. But economists say you really shouldn't have any corporate income taxes. And I'm thinking, well, if economists say that, then I'm willing to listen to it, you know, and maybe, and you know, I, we know President Obama likes to go to the to the table and give away a lot of stuff. I mean, if he could go to that, you know, at least it's, there's some basis to it. Okay, so the, the reason why did the um, the GOP and people like Karl Rove they spent millions and millions of dollars and they got run. Uh, every single race that the, that Rove and, and his people and Sheldon Adelson and all these uh, very rich people who wanted Mitt Romney and the and the conservatives and the GOP to win lost badly. And they couldn't figure out why. And uh, on the David Pakman show, which I recommend, it's uh, just look up David Pakman on YouTube. At, and Pakman is P-A-K-M-A-N. He was kind of theorizing, and something I had thought, is that maybe fact-checking finally caught up with the GOP. Now, you know, we've been saying, uh, you know, for months now that, you know, everyone wants to say, oh, well, both sides do it. And while there's a, a kernel of truth to that, one side is worse than the other. They just are. You know, you, you could make an argument that maybe the accuracy of painting, you know, Mitt Romney as shipping jobs overseas or this one, uh, President Obama didn't run this ad, but one of these uh, political action committees ran on his behalf that this uh, uh, woman got laid off from her job uh, after Bain bought this factory and then she lost her health insurance and she died of cancer. Uh, that's, you know, you can, that's a little extreme. Okay, that's, but... It was happening way worse on the other side. These outright lies, the president uh, gutted welfare, and now we'll just send you a check, which was complete nonsense, utterly made up, made up from whole cloth, as they like to say. So I think it's, you know, I, I didn't think people were as engaged uh, as me in politics, because I, I think, you know, over the years, I found people just find politics either, either boring or it's just not as fun to follow, uh, you know, the White House and Congress and the Supreme Court as it is snooky. So... But um, I think when people do hear things now, because the Internet is so easy to use and, you know, so easy to access information, I think maybe people do hear something like that and go, wow, did he really gut welfare? And they look it up and they go, oh, no, he didn't do that at all, did he? So, I mean, it's a lot to consider uh, in the election, but I just think it's just weird how um, everyone was going on this week about how Karl Rove uh, melted down. They're on Fox News, and I cannot stop watching that, by the way. But then on our side, um, there are people saying, oh, well, it's, it's a mandate, it's a mandate. No, it's not a mandate. He won by 3 million votes. That's not a mandate. Now, it's a majority, certainly, and people uh, you know, that voted for President Obama, I think a lot of them voted for him knowing that he wants to raise taxes on people making more than $250,000. I don't know if they know he wants to lower the taxes on corporations, but again, economists say that's the way to go. You, you lower or eliminate corporate taxes, and you tax the people that work at the corporations. Of course, Mitt Romney says that corporations are people too, so maybe you tax them on that basis. Born in Cincinnati and raised in St. Louis, Missouri, comedian Nikki Glaser now calls New York City home. 
she performs there regularly and tours the country, headlining clubs across the USA as well. Here now is our interview with Nikki Glazer. Okay, joining us on PF's tape recorder, it's Nikki Glazer. Nikki, how's it going? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good. Now, um, we have a lot of uh, mutual friends, it seems. Do we? Well, acquaintances to me, friends uh, to you. Well, you're originally from St. Louis, but someone told me that your folks are from here in Cincinnati. Is that correct? They are. I was born and uh, raised there until I was about six, and okay. all of my family still lives there. So I got a lot of people in town that I know, yes. Okay, and then you know all the St. Louis folks like uh, Greg Warren and uh, Andy Smith and 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 all, all those yeah, folks. Okay. Greg Warren for sure. Okay, yeah, I know Greg to say hello to. Uh, we've spoken yeah. many a time. In fact, he was in uh, Cincinnati for a long time uh, at his day job he with, Pro- with yeah at his day job with Procter and Gamble before he started it doing. Was. I know. Here you go. You know Greg's story. So um. Yes, I do. He lives in New York now, but uh, yeah. We, oh, really? We I didn't both know that. The same high school too. Oh, that's. You know, um, when he left Los Angeles, uh, Jimmy Dore gave him all kinds of hell for leaving and wondering why he'd want to go back to St. Louis. But I think Greg was just tired. You might know better than I do, but Greg seemed to be tired of the grind in L.A. Yeah. I also left L.A. I mean, it's if you're doing stand-up on the road, it's just not really the place to be because you're no. like, why am I here? Like, I'm always leaving to go make money. and um, But he moved, recently moved to New York, which... I found was a great move for me, and uh, he's finding is a really good move for him. So we both went back to St. Louis after L.A. for a while, and then uh, and then got, you know, which was great because I was able to stay at home and earn some money and uh, live with my parents for a while, and then uh, went to New York really ready to, to hit the ground running. Well, it seems like they always say New York is more of a, the town to go to if you you really want to focus on your stand-up, or L.A. is if you want to focus on stand-up, but also maybe try to dabble in some other things. Yeah, L.A. is where you kind of go to be seen, where you've, like, honed it so far, and you go, and you, you're like, ta-da, look at me, give me a deal, let's, yeah, people don't focus on stand-up as much. Um, not does a lot of people think, like, stand-up, or, can I cuss on here? Sure, why not? I'll just bleep it out okay. in the post. They say it's, I'll try not to, but they say it's like crappier there to stand up, but that's not the case. It's just there's less of it going on, and um, you're more free in New York to kind of be yourself. There's not as much industry watching, not as much as on the line every time you go on stage, you know. Uh, and I just found that the caliber of, of performers here was just greater, and I uh, and it makes you get better because you got to follow yep. these amazing people. It also seems if you do get noticed, you get noticed to do comedy, like to go on, you know, one of the talk shows or to go to a festival. Whereas in L.A., you might get noticed to maybe be anything from a commercial to a sitcom to who knows what to an independent film, or you know, yeah. a talk and show. Yeah, those opportunities are here as well, um, but not as much for sure. And and yes, here, here, you, and you definitely get noticed to go. Like I got Conan out of a set that I did in L.A., and I did the Tonight Show off a set I did in L.A. So LA is definitely a place where you can be seen to get booked on TV to do stand-up, but I think New York is where you get good at stand-up if you really want to like get a really great with the craft because there's a ton of space time to be had if you work it the right way. Yes, and That's speak- not to be you just walk into town and you get a bunch of stage time. People have a misconception about that. you got to work your butt off, but um, it's there if you do put the work in. 
Now, speaking of Conan, you had a very hilarious set a couple weeks ago. Thank you. Like, yes, he, uh, some great jokes. Thanks. A lot of nice misdirects and stuff like that. Yeah, that's my style. There you go. I was just going to say, so that's pretty indicative because folks may not have maybe seen you since, you know, Last Comic Standing or maybe just a little, you know, just little snippets you always see on the internet. It's always hard to tell what someone's sure. full set is, is like. But is that pretty indicative uh, of your set? Kind of like, you know, some solid jokes yeah. in there wrapped around a, a theme of... I guess in the case of the Conan show, it was mostly about, you know, moving back home and such. And I think my set is mostly about just where I am as a woman in this world and how it's kind of, um, you know, part of me is supposed to be, like, an adult and the other part is, like, a really immature teenager <laughs> and uh, just grappling with that on a day-to-day basis. Being, you know, I, I went through a very broke when I first moved here, and that was like kind of my first foray into being destitute and just how that was going for me and just, you know, just coming into my own. I think that's pretty much what my set is about. But it's, I, I, I like jokes and I like, um, I like honesty. So I try to keep those both uh, in my set. Uh, there's a lot of, and, and I like, and I like poop jokes. So you get it all. <laughs> you can. The running the gambit. <laughs> Um, so you, uh, yeah. you you started comedy when you were in college, I guess. Is that correct, or was it? I did. I started my freshman year of college, and I did it um, pretty much all through college until I graduated. I started really doing it uh, my junior senior year, and then by my spring of my senior year semester, I auditioned for Last Comic Standing and got on that show. And um, and then I went to L.A. to film it, and then I was like, oh, I guess this is the place. I, I, I've i been here, so I'm, I'll move here. And so I moved to L.A. right after I graduated and um, was there for about 30 years. When, where'd you go to college? I went to college at KU, University of Kansas. Oh, there you go. All right. Uh, yeah. War Jayhawks. Um, yes. <laughs> so did what were you studying uh, to do uh, apart from college? I was... An English major. I just wanted to get through college as soon as possible, and I kind of walked in with some credits, and uh, I'm also fluent, so I figured that <laughs> would, uh, through pretty quickly. There you go. And so, yeah, I just, I was I was really eager to, to get it out of the way. I just felt like college was kind of holding me back. I'm glad I did it. It was a great experience, but I, uh, the first time I did stand-up, I like, knew that's what I was going to be doing, oh, okay. and that a degree would pretty much be wasted. Yeah. But uh, made my parents proud, and uh, yeah, I can say I have a degree. Well, and being an English major, which comes in handy, I'm sure, when you're, you know, even when you're writing comedy, even writing, you know, little, you know, one-line jokes and things like this, you know, that the economy of words and you know the use yeah, of language. I yeah, I think it taught me. Yeah, it taught me how to be a good writer and uh, work on deadlines because you know it's just a lot of papers due the next day, and I, it taught me. It taught me how to bullshit my way through something is to be honest. Oh, there you go. <laughs> college is yeah. for me, I, I wasn't like really dedicated to it. So I was just like, how do I get this done without, like, how do I get good grades without really trying that hard or taking me out of what I really want to do? So it taught me the art of, uh, of getting stuff done under well, deadline. But did you enjoy the four years of college? Because, you know, it's a lot of fun for most folks. Yeah, I did. I'm glad I had it because I would have rushed into like going to LA too soon. I mean, the first time I did stand-up, I was like, I want to do this forever. This is it. And I, like, didn't understand what it took. So I think it slowed me down in that respect and, and gave me the opportunity to stay around Kansas City, um, figure out kind of how comedy works 
I was doing open mics. I kind of learned the business a little bit, started, you know, emceeing at the club. So it slowed me down because I would have just jumped the gun and gone to L.A. too soon, which I ultimately did anyway. I think I went there too soon, but it, it ended up working out. But And I did have fun. I, I had uh, I didn't have, like, a typical college experience. I Weekends I would go and do or watch comedy in Kansas City and kind of ah. leave my college town. But um, my freshman year, I went to University of Colorado at Boulder, and I uh, I had I got all my college in that year, pretty much. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so um, an alternate career path then. Uh, did, what prompted you to do comedy in the first place then when you got to college, or did you have a burning desire even through high school to say, I can't wait to try it? Or I didn't have a burning desire. I loved comedy. I was... Um, I was like obsessed with Conan O'Brien. I discovered him and I was like, whatever this is, I want in. Like I just, huh. his brand of humor just really hit a chord with me. And I, it was, I was obsessed with him and Dave Matthews band when I was in high school. Like a bunch of people, when I got booked on Conan on Facebook, high school people were like, oh my God, you were obsessed with Conan. Like how <laughs> is this happening? Your dream is coming true. And it really was. It was like, um, I, I, I was just all I could talk about or think about was uh, Conan. So I, and then I was I was acting all through high school. So I was like, I guess I, I knew I wanted to perform. I was like, I guess I'll be an actor. And then I tried, um, like I wasn't that. I, I just didn't have a passion for acting. So I was just, I was frustrated by that because I wanted to be in the on stage, but I also wasn't that good at it or dedicated to it. And um, so I went to my freshman year of college, and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, this performing thing isn't working out, I guess. I'll be a sitcom writer or something. I knew I wanted to do comedy. So stand-up didn't even occur to me. I just didn't grow up watching it. I just didn't know it was a thing. And then um, and then people started telling me, like, in passing, like, uh, my freshman year, like, you should be a comedian. I started hearing that a lot. And I had never heard it before. I think it was just something that... Um, it was like part of like in high school. Like in high school, I was kind of quiet, and my friends were really the funny ones. I kind of sat back and observed. And I think that uh, in college, I kind of reinvented myself and came out of my shell. I went by myself to the University of Colorado. I didn't have any friends go with me, so I was like, "Oh, you're going to be the funny one." And so I started getting people telling me that, and I was like, "Oh, I guess I should try it." And then there was like a stand-up competition on campus that my friend saw a sign for, and she like. I was like, you have to do this. And so I was like, all right. And then I did it once, and I was like, all right, that's it. I like, I knew right away. I called my dad right after my set, and I was like, okay, I found this, this is what I'm doing. No looking back. So you don't think if you'd gone to school with, like you said, with people that you knew or maybe some people from high school, you might not have believed him as much as much as these people you just known for a short time saying, yeah, wow, you're funny. You really got to go do this. Yeah, I don't think if I wouldn't have gone by myself, I don't think I would have, because I kind of left it to them. I was like, I think they're the funny ones. I'm not, that's not really my thing. Hmm. And I just never, I kind of sat back and got, like, I was never just, uh, yeah, I was kind of quieter and kind of let them take the reins, but I'm, I'm so glad that I did not go with them, because, yeah, I, I really did get to, like, become a new person, and it was, it was awesome, so. Now, uh, you have other vehicles for your comedy currently. Uh, you do a podcast as well? I do. I have a uh, a podcast with Sarah Schaefer. She's a, another stand-up comedian in New York. We met at a party like my first week living here two years ago. And uh, we just started a podcast right after meeting. We were like, we just we uh, we just got on the topic of podcasts, and we were like, oh, I want to start one. She was like, I do too. And I was like, we should do one. And so um, we started a podcast like 
right there. And uh, the next week we were recording, and it, we record out of her apartment. It's us two interviewing a, a comedian friend. Okay. And we invite, like, an audience of people over to, like, watch. So we have, like, a small audience in her living room. Wow. And then we just have, like, a candid, fun conversation. It's kind of just go with the flow, no agenda, really. Just trying to make it as funny as possible. Sometimes we cry. Sometimes we, you know, laugh. You know, laugh. We always laugh, but there's it's a lot of emotions happen. It's, it's really fun. And we have an MTV show coming out now that uh, we sold and uh, are producing and the stars of. Uh, coming out in, in January called Nikki and Sarah Live. Oh, and it's basically the same format as the podcast? It is not. It, well, our podcast kind of got us the show because we could come to them and be like, hey, look, we are good together and look at our chemistry and da, 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 da. And so that kind of sold them on it. But um, the format of the show is more like, it's like a weekend update, I would say. Um, okay. Amy and Tina did it, you know, that kind of banter, but plus uh, sketches and Oh, cool. Uh, Man on Street Pieces, and it's all, it's in the t- old TRL studio at MTV, and it's all based around pop culture, so it's all, uh-huh. yeah, so it's like the daily show, but for pop culture, essentially. Okay, so you'll be making fun of uh, sort of current things going on in entertainment, music, movies, yeah. that kind of thing? Very cool. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be live, we just found that out yesterday, so oh. that's exciting. Hmm, oh, so kind of like, like TRL was, it'll be, it's going to be live TV at, uh, what time of day will it be yeah. on? It'll be a late night talk show, so it's okay. be like eleven. Okay. Oh, competing with your your old idol. Yes, I know. Wow. Uh, hopefully we yeah we can work together, but uh, yeah huh. we might be on at the same time with him in some markets for sure. It's really exciting, and our first show is airs at the end of January, so we're just getting started working on it now, and um, yeah, we're thrilled. So you've got some bits written for it already, or just ideas for bits? I guess too soon no, have bits we because we don't even uh, have writers hired. So oh my goodness. our first day in the office is actually Monday, so oh, okay. we will start then. Well, this you'll be yeah. able to flex that uh, another part of that comedy muscle. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to write a TV show, and we have fun making. We made two pilots, so I kind of already have a, a gist of how it works, and it's very rewarding and really fun. And the fact that it's going to be live is going to be perfect for us because. We're live performers at heart, so it's um, it doesn't. A lot of people are you scared? That's crazy. I'm like, no, this is fantastic. That's like performing live is like what I want to do. And now, you know, a live show is great because you kind of can just do it, and then you're like, ah, oh, there it is. Like, there's no fucking guessing. Hey, can we leave that bit in? Can we take that joke out? Oh yeah. Kinda just, there's something about that that I like uh, more than television just because I am at heart a stand-up and what I say is out there and I can't take it back. I'm kind of used to that. So it's exciting. So is it a half-hour show, hour-long show? Half-hour show. Uh, It might become something else. It's a a weekly show now on Tuesday nights, but it might become daily. We we have no idea what could happen with it. Okay. At this point, it's a half-hour weekly show. All right, so do you think it'll uh, force the podcast on a hiatus, or you should be able to get, knock, knock that out? Um, no, we're still we're keeping the podcast. We might change the venue of it just so make it easier for us to work on our show, and, and uh, we might not be doing it at Sarah's apartment in Brooklyn anymore because it's kind of sh- quite a schlep. But, uh, huh. no, we're going to keep doing it. We're, we've got a lot of irons in the fire at this point. Sounds so like we're, it. Because I'm going to keep doing stand-up. Sarah's going to keep doing stand-up. Uh, it, it never ends, so it's exciting. 
So when you come back to Cincinnati, uh, I knew you were only six when you left, but you have a lot of family, so I'm sure you visited. Are you looking forward to doing anything? Uh, you know, of course, apart from being at Go Bananas, uh, maybe getting some chili yeah. or. I, uh, I, I, I love going to Cincinnati. I mainly hang out. I grew up kind of, my grandma lives in Clifton, so I love okay. going uh, down Ludlow and just hanging out around there. I have my parents' friends. I, like, know all of them. I, I see more people in Saint, or Cincinnati when I go back than when I go back home to St. Louis, where I'm from. Skyline, of course. Yep. Graders, you know, the classics. Sure. I, um, I grew up with all that stuff. I, we we visited Cincinnati, you know, five times a year. So it was, okay, uh, so I'm very, I'm very. I, I haven't been back in so long. It's been I've never. I've only worked um, really uh, in Kentucky at the the Funny Bone in Newport. So right. It's been a while since I've been at Go Bananas, and so it's my favorite club, really. And. Uh, so this is my first time headlining, so it's a big deal for me. I'm very excited. Yes, well, I know a lot of folks looking forward to it. I know you also know um, Gabe Kia, who's a, a friend of the podcast. Who is it? Gabe Kia. Oh, Gabe Kia. Oh, yeah. He uh, he was one of my first friends in comedy ever. There I you met go. Him, uh, the first day that I ever showed up at the St. Louis Funny Bone. We took uh-huh. a comedy class together. That was how we met. Oh, cool. Yeah, because I did an article about the comedy scene in Cincinnati uh, for City Beat back in, like, July. You Google it, you can probably find it. And he mentioned, of course, that's where I found out you actually were from here originally uh, before moving to, of course, St. Louis uh, yeah. when you were a kid. So, yeah. So, yeah. Um, I haven't had get Gabe on the podcast yet, but I've interviewed him many times for the paper and for the paper in Minneapolis as well. So. Yeah, he's great. He Good is. friend. Yes, uh, folks need to check out Gabe Kia. He's, yeah, he's definitely. Key. And uh, the the guy I'm bringing to uh, open for me uh, next weekend is a guy named uh, Josh Arnold out of St. Louis, and he is incredible as well. So it's just uh, from top to bottom going to be a great show. Yes, uh, folks from St. Louis very funny. Yeah, we have a lot of talent that comes yes. out of that town. I'm I'm very honored to be from there and able to say that I'm I'm from there. Yeah. It's, it's a good scene. It really is. Yeah. Apart from the fact that our baseball teams hate each other, uh, it's it's uh, it's a good, pretty good relationship. Pretty pretty similar yeah. towns. <laughs> my um my my hockey team actually is the St. Louis Blues. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm from Cleveland, and when we lost our hockey team, I had to flip around the dial one night trying to find uh, hockey, and I just happened to stumble yeah, onto. Yeah, uh, in Cleveland, also a good comedy town. Yes, yes. And uh, yeah, we we go back often there too. So, the Midwest cool. can't can't be the Midwest, baby. No, I I miss it so much. I I look forward to going back anytime I get a chance to. New York is ugh, it's overwhelming sometimes. I can imagine. So nice. I, whenever I go on the road, I just like go to Target all day and Ruby <laughs> Tuesdays. Like I do like Midwest <laughs> classic things. Cool. I look forward to it. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah. Of course, I think we're. I don't think we're going to make it to the show because we're going to Las Vegas next week for our twentieth anniversary. Oh, nice. And that'll take us through uh, through Saturday, so um, and then Sunday. No we'll problem. Stuff. But I we'll hope to catch you sometime because uh, I'd like to see you live again. Uh, love the jokes on the Coney Show. We'll link to that so people can check it out, get a little preview. Cool. Everyone will come out and see you. All right, ma'am. We'll continue and, uh, success to you. Yeah, link to my Twitter as well if you could. Yeah, I'll put all that stuff on the uh, Podbean page. Sounds good. Thanks, man. All right, Nikki. Bye. Thanks again to Nikki Glazer for being on the podcast. 
You, of course, can find all things at Nikki Glaser. Guess where? Yes, at NikkiGlazer.com. And that's N-I-K-K-I for Nikki. And Glazer is G-L-A-S-E-R, not with a Z like the folks that own the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but with an S. And then you can find uh, all the information about her podcast and her upcoming MTV show and all that great stuff. I can tell you that she is at the Comedy Cellar in New York City. Uh, that is November 11th. 12th and 13th, the Comedy Cellar does assure us that they do have power, that they are putting on shows. So uh, things are back to normal in that respect, at least, uh, in Manhattan, following the big storm. Uh, okay, let me see. What other order of business do we have to get to? We also have to tell you to like the podcast on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter at PF66. Uh, PFT Recorder logo by Dan Koble, and you can find him at TigerDactyl on Twitter. Um, also, Dan was our guest on the football podcast, uh, the No Huddle. Uh, he won our league last year, and he talks about um, missing the draft this year and how that's affected his season. He's kind of in the middle of the pack. So um, if you like the fantasy football, look up the No Huddle. That's pfwilson.podbean.com for that, or you can just search it in iTunes or in Google, and it should come right up. Let me see. Uh, oh, the music for PS Tape Recorder, uh, as always, is uh, composed by John Veropoulos and Doug O'Connor with a little help from me. Performed by John Veropoulos and Doug O'Connor with a tiny bit of help from me. Uh, I believe that is all we have on the agenda for today, except to say so long and thanks for listening. (laughs) 